everybody, I'm Matt Hill. We are the uh, Talking Energy Show podcast, and like always, uh, all my stuff has technical difficulties, and my friends are always uh, very courteous about uh, not kicking my butt about it, but uh, let's just go around the room just in case and introduce ourselves. Uh, again, I'm Matt Hill. Scott Witt with American Seamany. Michael Dunn with Doing Water Mystery. Marshall Hall, Malorn Energy. All right, well, Talking Energy Show. Uh, Marshall, how did you come up with that name for that company? Uh, it's kind of uh, funny, but I... I really, uh, my wife and I are pretty big nerds, and we love Lord of the Rings, and Malorn is a type of tree from, from Lord of the Rings, so we decided to uh, name it after that, um, and, and it, you know, make sure our nerddom was at least known a little bit. That's a, that's a great series of uh, books and uh, movies, too. I mean, I, I like them all. I, I had to read those when I was a, a kid. How did uh, how'd you get in one gas? Uh, really, I, I didn't think I was ever... You know, I wouldn't have thought I was ever going to work oil and gas, but I, uh, I, I went to school at Colorado School of Mines. I knew I wanted to be an engineer, and I was really looking for something that had a high uh, ROI for what I was paying. I was an out-of-state student, um, and, and so I uh, found petroleum engineering. This was, this was 2009, so the industry was really starting to take off, and I was encouraged by many people uh, that worked for the school to, to look into it and try it out. Uh, ended up going to a couple of introduction classes and just loved it and took off with it and uh, did a pretty good decision. Yeah, where was the uh, first company you worked at? Well, yeah, what's your like kind of resume? Yeah, background. So, um, born and raised in, in Edmond, Oklahoma, went to Edmond Memorial High School, and then um, I went uh, decided to go to school in Colorado uh, at School of Mines, um, and did obviously petroleum engineering. Once I graduated, I went to work for Oasis Petroleum for about a year and a half. Um, after I worked there for about a year and a half, I actually got offered uh, by Ward Petroleum to work their Fort Collins um, office. And kind of opened it up and, and worked at their DJ asset they were starting to, to work on. Um, I had interned with them for two two summers. Nice. Um, so that's kind of how I knew those guys and uh, did that for four years. Um, and they sold that asset to Great Western in 2018. And I went to work for Great Western um, as an assistant production manager. So I, I went from an operations manager, operations engineer role at Ward to an assistant production manager. And I did that for about a year. And then a similar group of people uh, that were, were at Ward. Uh, put together Red Wolf, which is a private equity company, and we we did that for two years. Now I, I moved back to Oklahoma to do that. We worked the, we worked uh, about 200 wells in the scoop stack. We did that for two years, and then in September um, of last year, I guess now, we rolled. We were we merged into Camino. Camino, yep. Yep. And mm-hmm. so uh, when that all happened, I decided it was time for me to start my own operating company. So you just now decided. Was born. <laughs> well, it had been in the works. It had always been a dream for, yeah. for 40 years or so. Yeah, you, know, you know how to do drilling, you know how to do I, I know how to do it all. production. Yeah, I really I really kind of wanted to just have a, you know, have that chance to, to operate it myself. I kind of already done it myself for, for years, uh, working my, my own little small office. Because you guys had how many wells? You're looking out. Uh, in the DJ? Yeah. In the DJ, was really, when we, when we started, it was, you know, eight wells. And then we drilled it up. I think we got, you know, 30 or so by the time we sold. So it wasn't a lot. Um, but, but if you're the only guy... And you're getting phone calls at, in the middle of the night. And you're kind of trying to put together stuff together, and, and you know you're you're out and doing stuff, and kind of learn. Okay, I think I could do this. Granted, it's with different people's money, but so so there's there's it's not uncommon to hear people say they'd like to start their own uh, operator or, or EMP. So for you, why? What is your why, and what are your goals out of that? Yeah. Um, so the why is uh, one. I, I think I think I can do it, um, but but. I think I've got a different take than maybe what other companies kind of do. My, my you know, kind of the, the motive is to operate, or maybe not the motive, but um, the idea, the business plan is to operate low volume, low decline, conventional assets. I mean, the last operator they see. 
Um, I, I think there's there's a way to, to operate wells that have kind of been under, underlooked and um, not, maybe not taken care of as much. And in some cases, they've been taken care of great, but somebody's not interested in operating them anymore. Um, and it just and to, to work it to where you're the last person that does it. Really, where that kind of came out of um, was obviously I worked worked a lot of uh, vertical wells. I'd seen how the vertical wells kind of got treated within larger companies, and um, not just, just not just with the companies I work, but at other companies. And you talk back and forth with, uh, with other people. Uh, yeah, I got some vertical wells, and I, you know we don't do a whole lot with them and, and that kind of thing. And you kind of just see that as a prevailing theme as shale has become what it is, um, and these conventional wells kind of just sit out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of potential. Um, Anyway, so, so, so that all being where it is, I think um, what really drove me to want to do this was uh, I had seen, you know, when we sold the asset to Great Western, I saw we had a, a small group of people, a couple pumpers, and I had to say goodbye to these people. And if you ever talk to people that are in the field, um, you know, they, they get really involved with the companies they work for. They, sometimes they're not even employed by the company, they're just contract, but they yeah. really like working for you know, whoever it is. Well, they're going to have to trip as well. Yeah, that's, that's their babies. And then all of a sudden, sometimes you're, you're stripping it away from them. And so part of it was, how can I provide not only like something that I love doing, but then maybe give these guys a job where I'm, I'm not going to walk away from these things. That's not the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, I'm, like I said, I, I'll, I want to be the, the last operator of the well seat. Um, so that was really, it's a long way of saying that that was, that was kind of maybe toward where I wanted to take it in the end of it all, but the business plan really is to take low, you know, those lower decline wells. And obviously, you know, if you can have a, have a better well than that, great. Um, Are you going out and doing that right now, like uh, saying, hey, this is five barrels a day, but I think I can turn it into 10? Yep. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's kind of the idea. Um, and, and I would say that you can't find a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, you, what you quickly realize, or at least what I quickly realized was is, as much as I thought I was unique in that aspect, I, I really wasn't. There's a lot of people that have very similar ideas as far as, you know, um, operate and, you know, either, either improve them, cut costs, um, and, you know, they may, you know, instead of uh, instead of operating them until the end, though, they may want to just sell them and, and flip them. So mm-hmm. there's definitely a component to that, which is a total viable business plan. Yeah. I, I think, you know, comparing it to real estate, you have people buy a home, fix yep. it up, and sell it, yep. and you see people who, who buy an asset and they, take production from accumulative 10 barrels a day to accumulative 20 so at that point you theoretically doubled the value and so it's 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 definitely out there i think also a lot of the reason you see people looking to do this is because the entry point for a lot of this production is is at a point that many people can reach within the oil and gas industry you know if i want to sit there and drill a a single horizontal well say for somehow i was able to lease up a a section i want to drill one mile lateral okay i've got you know, however many hundreds of thousands or a couple million dollars, to, or many millions, depending on what, what uh, area you're in, but you've got your land costs and then you actually go and spend five or ten million dollars drilling it. Yep. And at that point, your entire investment is a single data point, which means if something goes wrong, so on and so on. So, so the, these, these marginal wells, they, they sit there and make half a barrel, a barrel, a couple barrels a day, and you I'll make that. Absolutely. And, and there's a lot of people who do that, and there's a lot of people who do that or inherited it in one way or another. Yep. And they didn't necessarily have the expertise to truly optimize it. So you look at the decline curves and say, ah, this is not natural. Something specifically happened. What did we do? Well, we didn't really know why. So we just kind of kept kind of milk along. Yeah. Yep. And so there's a lot of stories out there. So the people will buy this set of, of 30 or 50 or two wells even as a starting point and uh, either flip it, yep. you know, increase or flip it, or just, just you know, like you said, take it take yep. it to a nice, easy grade uh, to where there's some... You know, some point in the future where it's no longer economic at commodity pricing. Yeah, yeah. Are you, are you focused on any one area that you think is 
is looking better right now. I'm close to home. Close to home is yeah. always good. You know, if you can go visit the wells, if they're in it within a reasonable drive, that's that's the dream. <laughs> uh, I'm familiar with the Anadarko Basin, sure. right? So that's really where I want to be. You, you, you kind of, I think if, if you want to do this, this kind of thing, you want to stay in a, a place that's a, a friendly regulatory environment. But for my history in Colorado, right. I think that, that you want to stay in a place where you're not worried about um, maybe prohibitive regulations that, that are going to make it difficult. And, you know, sometimes they're, they're reasonable, um, but sometimes they're very expensive mm -hmm. um, to just implement, let alone, let alone keeping up with. No flaring, all of a sudden. Yeah, okay. yeah. Immediately, if you, no flaring in the United States right now. They yeah. just came down with that. How many people are going to be? Well, yeah. I'm out. Yeah. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Plug yeah. Yep. But here's what's interesting to offer a, a counter thought to that, is that if you have the expertise to say, and you truly, like, you have experience in Colorado, so you're probably much more adept to handle the regulatory requirements there. Mm -hmm. So when those assets go on the market, the market's going to say, I'm not looking to be a new entry into Colorado because I realize I'm in over my head. People can say the same thing about BIA, BLM. So those are actually going to limit your competition for those assets. So just to kind of oh. offer the, the counter argument. Now, I, I roughneck there for four years, but that doesn't mean I know anything about the current regulatory status. So just you know, taking a look at what your background, your expertise is for the audience, but taking a look at what your background, your expertise, and is there something within my background that allows me to say, I know a little more than the next guy, therefore, I can look at this asset and this 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 challenge or this downside is not quite as large for me and I know how to handle it easier, better, whatever it might yeah, be. Sometimes it's having the confidence yourself and, and you hit on it, you know, that, that's always been kind of you know, once you get kind of a stable base going of going to a place like a Colorado, you, you mean, there are deals to, to be made in places like that because of exactly you know what I said and what you what you nailed, which is that the Sometimes what, what looks like a problem is actually outside. Yeah. Yeah. But you've got to be able to value that risk, the political yep. the risk that comes with it, right? Yeah, absolutely. You have to have some kind of and, foresight. And, see what and so it's baked in, right? So and, you know, your purchase price might be completely reduced because of something like that. And okay. I think that's what you see most of the time. You know, you talk about flaring, for example, using yeah. that as an example for this conversation. If I'm, if I'm buying 50 wells, and these 50 wells are all, gap, or, excuse me, all oil wells, or even if they're all gas wells, but they're all on pipeline, at the end of the day, and I have zero interest in drilling, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the impact of this no flaring, I'm, I know they're talking about there's requirements on tanks potentially, so I'm not going to say that there's not potentially more behind the curtains, but sure. at the end of the day, the impact on a no flaring is significantly different for me as just trying to hit the last 20 years of this decline versus drilling new wells, and is there a pipeline within a few miles of me? Or is there, so, yeah. again, what's my specific situation, what are my specific resources, and what challenges can I overcome more easily than the next guy possibly? Speaking of which, uh, before we go any further, uh, here, Michael Dunner, may give... Uh, Give your little resume real quick. You know, how did you get oil and gas, and uh, where have you been? Uh, Laydown crew was my first oil and gas job. We're trying to lay down casing crew for a while. Scary stuff. A little bit. Um, very eye opening in the way the world works. And you stayed in oil and gas. And I stayed in oil and gas. I, I roughnecked for a little over four years. At that point, my goal was to. I went to college. I, I quit the rigs, and I went to college. I had zero interest in getting back into oil and gas. Just so happened the, the school I went to was heavily recruited. Since I had an oil and gas background. It kind of worked out very well that I had opportunity existing. Uh, spent a decade working for Unit Petroleum, drilling completion production, and spent some time working at Marathon. I That's where I met him, Unit Petroleum. Yeah. I pulled him out to a golf tournament one time. We had a great time. Yes, it has been a few years. What, 15? Oh, gosh, it's been 15 years. Yeah. Plus, maybe more, yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, at this point, I own interest. I've operated wells, like, like you. I've operated wells. Uh, I own interest in a few hundred wells, and I also work at Lagoon water midstream so my first venture into the real estate the, too this guy estate. everywhere yeah he's all over <laughs> all over the place so my my current vantage point is the non-operator side of the desk and midstream so a lot of new advantage points and 
learned a lot. Water, water, the future of our industry, how we're going to get there it, really how we're going to maintain it, it's how we're going to clean it. It's all up to us on the water. There, there, you know, some areas, especially Permian, where they have less water available to them. Some people are just cutting you know, operators off from water. So yeah. They no more. Because it's not something, as far as I know, you don't have the right to sit there and you know, do a surface damage act or some other say you have to X, Y, or Z for, for that because it's, it's not a resource that we can require. And so you, you've got the water restrictions, of course, you have the socio-political environment, you have you know the big buzzword ESG, but the fact is, is that these large operators are heavily driven by what the markets say they want and what the money people say they want, and like it or not, ESG is here, mm -hmm. and it's up to us to figure out, okay, here's a challenge, and how can we make the best of this challenge while still making sure that we're either making good investments for ourselves or our companies or the shareholders, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a huge challenge, and you see the industry shifting and trying to feel out, okay, where embracing and monetizing. Absolutely, I mean, it, it's it's you know, it's capitalism at its best, and, and that's a that's a good thing because we're saying there's challenges and there's people that are finding solutions, and sometimes you do a little back and forth and it comes and flows and ebbs. But at the end of the day, we're going to find a solution to it that works well. And our industry is the best at yeah. finding the solutions. Yeah. In a few more years, everyone's going to be doing this, and there's going to be some guy over here trying this one thing because he thinks it'll work a little bit better. But the next thing you know, that might be the next solution, it might not be, but I feel like the industry is large enough and there's enough opportunity in it, there's enough future in it, that we're going to grow the way we have to grow to continue on. What about you, Scott? How'd you get into oil and gas? Well, I came into oil and gas from a business perspective, but uh, you know, as I was saying before, I, not to date myself too much, but you know, I got out of high school in 1986 when the oil business was bad, and my freshman counselor told me, do not get in the oil business, because I think her husband had just gotten laid off at the time. You, know, so. you really listen to people. Yeah, I, I did. I listened to her. Yeah, I did listen to her, yeah. So, uh, so I, you know, I, I went through journalism school at the University of Oklahoma, and then later came back to oil and gas after uh, several other careers. Greeting cards, we just talked yeah, about Yeah, newspaper, greeting cards, uh, construction, yeah. um, you know, and uh, IT and supply chain. I've done all those things. So I, I came to see him in a tool belt reading a poem on his greeting card. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember yeah. any of the greeting cards you wrote at all? Absolutely not. I don't remember any of them. No. No. I wish you could just make uh, one up for us right now. I couldn't do it. Did they rhyme or did you do more haiku? Yeah, actually, I can write an IQ. That's funny. <laughs> I, I had a computer engineer friend of mine back in the day. Where all of our emails we wrote back each, to each other were in haiku. Nice. Uh, well nobody else understood. Well played. Like, what are these two nerds yeah. totally talking about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm nerd too. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So you've read Lord of the Rings. I, you know, I have not read Lord of the Rings. Oh, I've seen the movies. Got to do I've seen the movies. I, I'll tell you what. You think, I've read The Cimmerillion. There you go. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. We've got it. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is a haul. I mean, it's, it's a big yeah, fan. It big. is quite hard to read. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. It'll just suddenly skip tons of time, and you'll be like, what just happened? What just happened? Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I did see that movie about Token uh, that they just made. That, and, what? You know, the, the biopic? Yeah. 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 And that was really interesting. I've not, 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 not seen the show. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. No, I didn't see it in theaters, but okay. you definitely have to remember what streaming service I'm on sure you can watch it. It's pretty good. I mean, it's interesting. For those just watching, everybody in this room, I try to bring in here nerd. Nerd, nerd alert! We love, I love nerds. I'm a nerd. Yeah, yeah. And you were talking earlier about how he had a lot of the stuff he had written was, you know, connected to what he went through during World War One, which is, you know, it talks about that movie. It's really interesting. Yeah. You know, was that your kid? They got like really very, very strong visuals that tie what's going on yeah. in, in his mind with, with anti-industrial, probably anti-oil and gas at yeah. the time. But see, I'm more Ayn Rand. I'm like, hey, look, progress and uh, capitalism. It'll change all the world. I, mean, I wonder if they ever met and he just didn't like her and wrote, told, you know, wrote all those just because of her. It could have been they crossed paths. I wouldn't be surprised so, if it did. New theory out there, that was his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> he likes fairies, she likes money. Uh, anyway, back to 
oil and gas. So I think, first of all, does anybody in this room know, and I've, I've challenged our audiences many times, how many wells are running in the U.S. land right now? Like still producing, total U.S. Active. land producing, active wow. producing wells. Put a plug out there for drilling info. I bet they could tell us really quick. Man, yeah. I mean, really. I have a last time. I have an inverse. Right. You know? Yeah. I know. I know. That's, That's why right. I like. I see it out there because I want, I want to know how many active wells are producing okay. in the United States. Right. Well, I will tell you. I'll go back to my office because I know that my opening screen on drilling info has it all lit up. So I will get you a number that way. When you post the first video, person's going to get me a number, I want the full number. There. Yeah, I mean, I don't care if it's, like you said, half a barrel, one barrel, Act, five barrels, just, active yeah, wells active in the U.S. It's, 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 because when you say a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people are thinking about what you are doing yeah, exactly. and wanting to go that direction, I, there's not enough people doing what you're doing. There's not enough people that are go, I'm going to go start my own company. We don't need to plug all these wells in the U.S. that are five barrels a day or less. We need to have guys like you that go out there and go, uh-uh, don't plug them. We need, all across the globe right now, we see that people are energy hungry. They're Europe right now. Europe, they're supposed to be better off than that. They're supposed to have the best culture you know, on the planet. And they are starving for energy. So here we are with all these marginal wells that guys like you can go out, turn them into five to ten, ten to twenty and give more energy to the globe so no one's out there burning cow poop and their children are starving in a hut somewhere. Well, I'm curious about the, the economics of that if you've looked into that, you know, from because I come from the cement side, you know, P&A, it's not cheap to P&A oil, right? Yeah. So the economics have got to be, you know, it, it's got to be... Well, one thing to keep in mind, though, is that a lot of these wells, these marginal wells, are oftentimes very shallow. Mm -hmm. And so you pretty much just have one string of pipe, yeah. and you're not really even trying to pull pipe. I mean, or you're doing it's just a small amount. So the PNA on a well that's 1,500 or 4,500 foot deep right. is very, very different than a 20,000 foot measure depth. And, and you got three packers in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I guess it depends on the hole. And yeah, I think that Oklahoma's a little the regulatory is a little easier than Texas Railroad Commission and some other places. It's, it's it's what I tell people, so PNA is definitely the thing to think about. Um, when, so that's what's on your mind that you're going to go even look and buy a well. Am I going to have a PNA that's right when I'm right, buying it? The, the, the thought is I'm going to be the last operator that sees them, right? So okay. I'm thinking about the PNA the entire time. And so, I mean, part of the business plan is to just set aside money into basically a sinking fund. Okay. Mm -hmm. That in that itself maybe probably goes into some sort of an investment that, mm -hmm. that hopefully we'll get a return that will outpace inflation, right? But um, when you look and you talk to people and you bid out what plugging costs are, and we're talking mostly Oklahoma, you can go talk to other people and I'm sure they'll tell you my costs are really low. But you're seeing anywhere from $25,000, dollars $35,000 to yeah. plug a well. Mm -hmm. And sometimes cheaper, and oftentimes sometimes it's more expensive. I plug many, many wells where I was paid to plug it. If you yep. have a good enough surface facilities, yep. and you have good tanks and you got a good battery, then it's going to offset if you have enough surface, you know, some of the benefits of the deeper wells is if you can, if you've got a 10,000 foot seven, string of seven inch, mm -hmm. and you got your top of cement in there at 8,000 foot, and you can, you can, get it all you can salvage half of, the, half of that, you know, yeah. I think you kind of assume you can get half of it as what you shoot for. Especially now, with what high costs are. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now's the best time to plug yeah. it all. So, <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, in a prior life, I, I plugged, I had a project where I plugged over 80 wells in a short period of time, and so we bid it all out as a package, and at the end of the day, for the operator, we received a check. One surface, one one, uh, one company went out there and plugged all the wells. I think we broke it up in three or four packages because okay. it was Texas Panhandle, Western Oklahoma. Gotcha. But we broke it up in three or four, kind of geographic, kind of look at it and where they scattered. Yep. But at the end of the day, my company got a check 
for and ended up being a net positive plus getting rid of the liability. But you know, for the audience, you know, you're saying that the average cost 25, 35, those are very reasonable. But on the higher side, or you get in different states, or you get into more complex well bores, you can very, very quickly get up to 100, 200 thousand yeah. dollars plus. That's very right. And yeah. so, when someone's looking at buying, I think that's another reason you see a lot of these marginal wells tend to be the shallow wells because, say, I get this really complex well bore and it maybe has a plugging cost of 200 thousand dollars. Even if it's making five barrels a day, and I can get it up to 10, when you factor in the fact that you're going to take it to that end life you still are going to have very challenged economics, potentially. Are you still responsible once you plug that well? That's still yours, though, right? Because I'm seeing, you know, there's a lot of political stuff going on, but, like, I go to LinkedIn, and I see, like, Sarah out there, you know, talking about this stuff in West Texas where that whole ranch yes. is, yes. you know, just going bananas yes. right now. So did the operator think that their wells were plugged well? And the Texas Railroad Commission came out there and checked them, and everything was okay. And everybody's like, "Okay, well, I, you know." I think, I think the or thing, was it like, did they really get paid off? Or you know, I mean, there's so many questions yeah. and stuff like that. So you, as an operator, you pay somebody to go plug that well. You're like, "Okay, cool, I'm I'm good." Yeah. You know, where does that? You know, did you did you think that the well for Oklahoma, if you plug well here, did the Corporation Commission come out and check it and go, "Okay, it's good." Did they really check it? And at the end of the day. You know, you're still responsible. You're on the hook if so, anything happens. So, and I can't speak to every state, but most states will. They're the ones who approve the pr procedure with which the well is plugged, and they have rules around what has to be done. Um, and so, you know, speaking to the West Texas thing, I, I think I had seen that uh, the well was maybe from the 40s. Oh, there, yeah. Uh, and I'm in a dry hole. Hardly any paperwork on it. Yeah, and, 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 and you find those all the time. Uh, those are everywhere. Whether yep. uh, they're public or not, you just you just don't know. And I, I mean, I've heard stories of, you know, when people go in, re-enter some of these wells, what they find are telephone poles and you know, all <laughs> kinds of just trash they just threw in the hole. Yeah. That was what they plugged it with. But, but to, to, we got to establish that rules are very different now. So if I were to plug a well now, I'd be pretty confident nothing would come back. Right. Oh, you know, Technology's changed for Technology is, sure. Yeah, changed, yeah. Requirements. Yeah. Our knowledge yeah. of what, what actually, you know, when we stuff like that happens, yeah. what causes something like that, um, that's what those rules are meant to do is to mitigate. You know, that, I, 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 I can't speak for what that well was, but it, you know, it, it's very likely that no one even knew it was there. <laughs> I, for, for those maybe watching the very first time, I mean, we're, and you're not even in oil and gas, just by chance. We are stewards of our environment. We're stewards of our resources. Everybody in this room and our entire industry is working for one goal, producing affordable, reliable, abundant energy for the world. And we love our earth. We love the people in it. We wouldn't be doing this any other way. For sure, it's profitable. But, I mean, that's what everybody wakes up and goes to a job somewhere, some, you know, out for profit for themselves. We're just lucky enough to be, you know, providers of energy. So, you know, I, I know there's a lot of rhetoric out there about how the oil and gas, you know, hates the environment, but we're always working on solutions to make it better. When, when you look at the standard we hold now, compare it to, for example, this well from the 1940s, I'm going to say that when that well was had operations in the 1940s, they were probably maintaining the standard that existed then. Now, I'm also going to say that in another 50 years, they're going to look at what we do today you think they're and say, oh my goodness, how could they, how could they have? Yeah. But, you know, one thing to recognize is that oftentimes we are making judgments based on current knowledge. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the knowledge we currently hold is very different than the knowledge that was held back then. So you're, you're holding them to a current standard, but is that reasonable? Is that fair? The industry, I think, is very safe to say that the standard we hold is absolutely better, without a doubt, even over the last 10 or 15 years. Mm -hmm. Even over the last several months, you're seeing significant shifts in the industry. Again, and, and so... We're listening as new knowledge, as new information, as 
catastrophes, and we hate that a catastrophe occurred, but as, as a problem area occurs, then there's a lot of people. So what we do is science, so there's going to be catastrophes, mm -hmm. you know, there's yeah, going to be, you know, hiccups, and then we learn from them, and we do way better next time. Absolutely. And then there'll be another hiccup, and we'll learn from that. And to me, that's the way any industry goes. Yep. I mean, bridges, used to, you know, they used to yep. test bridges by letting an elephant cross it, right? Yep. If, if somehow an elephant had this innate sense. Look at COVID. They're jabbing us all the time. It's experimental drugs. <laughs> I mean, they just don't even know, you know, if I'm going to grow a third arm out or something, because I'm not going to jab it. <laughs> yeah, to, that, to your point, engineering is engineering to some degree, and you, you learn from what came before, right? I mean, engineering oil wells is not much different in that space as engineering a tall building, right? Yeah. You know, and you, you have to learn how that, those dynamics affect. So, Scott and I were you know, talking earlier and you know, seeing it's interesting to me because of all the things out there on drill sites, well the mud, that's gonna go through the pipe no matter what and come back up and you're gonna get returns. Oh, yes. you know, yeah. I mean there's there's times where you're not gonna get returns. You know, it's a bad day when you don't get returns. But the cement can't lock up on the way down through the pipe as it's coming back and surrounding, you know, your casing. That never happens. It never happens. <laughs> you know, you don't want to go out and drill out, you know, the entire stream full of cement, you know, if it's uh, pumped wrong, but that's you know fascinating to me. Like so, geothermal drilling now, right? Like you're going to look at 600 degree temperatures in some places, mm -hmm. and you have to have the right cement for that job. You know, mm -hmm. so there's there's no end of the chemistry that's going to be involved in the technique of you know the future of cement. I mean, that's what's so cool about our industry. There's not one piece of the things we do out there that are not going to change and get better over right, time. Right. And cement's fascinating. I mean, just because it's got to make sure the chemistry doesn't. You know, it doesn't set up in the tube going down, and it sets up in the right place coming back up and surrounding casing. It's got to be the right temperature, and it sets right. up at the right time. Compressive strength. Compressive yeah. Strength. Oh yeah, absolutely. How fast does it build? Can be strength? flexible. Yeah. I mean, when you start getting losses, yeah. The right does it, does it corrode right. the outside? Yeah. You know, does the chemicals inside that cement corrode the outside of the casing? How quickly you know? do you need to control does water, it, gas? Does it mess up the rock? You know, also is it good for the environment around it? You know, because what if you know water is going yeah. by there? You know, I mean, cement additives are the biggest, you know, Im improvement over the last 25 years, and accelerators and you know retarders. Those dialing in that the engineers that do that, and I'm certainly not one of those, but you know we have so many of these guys that I learned so much from the chemistry involved that can do that, and they know that space and so well and how that reacts and at that temperature is amazing. And, and those guys that that do it day in day out, you know, just knowing that the difference between the water, the water well that's feeding your drilling rig today, or the load of water. Could be the difference between that job going off well or not. Yeah, yeah. If, they're, if they're testing that cement yeah. in the lab and they get tap water, that would not be representative of the water. So that is because if, 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 if you don't mind that, you definitely want to make sure that cement doesn't set up too soon. But on the flip side of that, I also don't want the drill rig sitting here waiting for yeah, 30 hours. Wait. You know, how long do you wait to, to drive on your driveway when you yeah. get a driveway for you? A drill rig isn't going to wait that long. Yeah. So you want it to wait long enough to be in place, a little margin of safety in case you got to shut pumps down or something like that. But then. Theoretically, in a perfect world, you want it to set up instantly. Yep. Because you got this rig, you got a fifty or seventy or a hundred thousand dollars spread rate a day coming at you. I don't want to wait for for cement, so I want to have less than a amount of time that I can wait on that cement and still safely get the job off. And when you know that it's just a matter of of uh, you know the type of water we're sampling versus mixing it with, even when again talking about how complex cement is, they oftentimes batch mix batch batch mix this. Right. So you have this huge silo, and it starts with it starts with all the base elements, and they maybe pour a couple sacks of this other chemical in. But at the end of the day, is it perfectly mixed up? How long does it take to perfectly mix up a truckload of cement? Because when you are testing that, when you when you're doing that test in the sample, what do you do? You get your little cup, 
This is representative of the entire. We need more whiskey, by the way. So you got thousands of pounds of cement being mixed up, and you're pulling a sample cup. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that sample cup's about this big. And so, did you get a representative sample? And so, there's so many areas this can go wrong, and the fact that the guys are so good and they make it go right. I mean, 99.9% of the time is really just says a lot to the effort. Are we giving our drilling program and AFEs like enough focus on cement? I would say when you're, you're writing the AFE, good. is that okay? So there's there's the there's the drilling contractor. I mean, there's so much stuff there's out there on location, yeah. right? I mean, and how much does the AFE go to cement? Uh, or do cement, you want to go cheap? Cement is a relatively low cost when it yeah. comes to the end result of a drilling AFE. Yeah, that probably gets forgotten about as far as a cost basis more than often than not. But how? When you're talking about well bore construction, for the, the, for the perpetuity design, of that, the yeah. most important thing. Right. Yeah. But it's such an easy. I'm, I completely agree with what you're saying, but we both have drilling backgrounds, and we've both seen that it is, am I going to raise top of cement to 10,000 foot, or am I going to raise top of cement to 8,000 foot, am I going to run a DV tool just to make sure I get top of cement, and and so you, it's such an easy button, if I want to shave ten or $20,000 off, or a few hours of, of, of waiting on cement time, and so it's a very scary place, because it's such an easy button to shave a few $10,000 off your AFE, or a little bit of rig time that people can start pushing that button right. until you realize, maybe, maybe it's five years later, this zone's depleted, you want to go up hole, oh great, now I've got to punch holes in my cement and do a squeeze job. Yeah. And it's way more expensive. Absolutely. Besides your casing design, making sure that's absolutely right, it's right. the easiest way to ruin a well. Right. Like, how often does a poor cement job create a poor frack job yes. that you can't even quantify right. because you're not looking at it, you, you have very little ways to measure it, it's expensive to measure, which is what my brother does, but uh, you know, you, you get a, you, you're Fracking the hill of the well, the frack job's coming up the hole, and they don't even know that, right? You know, most of the time. And because of either poor centralization, you know, poor cement job, or whatever you might say. And it's not from poor design of cement, it's poor engineering placement, or just cutting corners because you know you can. And you can't, those Americans, those things people don't know. Poor cement well, no, we, we, we wouldn't want to. No, no cementer would, no. right? And no operator would either if you could measure the effect. Yeah. And that's hard to measure. All the wells you bought, are they yeah. all, did they all have cement? Or yeah, did, yeah. Uh, yeah, you've got surface casing, you've got production casing. Uh, these are you, didn't, you, didn't, wells. you didn't buy any wells that you found uh, wooden casing? <laughs> and, and I've seen all the, like, you know, you've, you've read about these, right? Like wooden casing. Yeah. You know, no, I have, no I have cement. an old rod, like a supper rod. Right. A piece of wood. Wow. Really? Yeah. And it's, it's held together with like these metal rivets, but that's all. It's really just wood. Wow. And that came out of one of your wells you bought? No, no, no. <laughs> had, You're like really going deep here. I had, I had a guy who, I mean, he's, he was, he's a wealth of knowledge, and he just happened to be like, hey, I've got this. Would you like this? And so it's kind of a trophy that you can get. Like, just to remember that, you know, when you go and look at a sucker rod, and it looks really, you know, maybe it looks kind of rough and garbagey. You've got this wooden thing that they used to pump these wells with, yeah. and they, you know they, these are probably you know a couple hundred feet wells. But it, it's, it's amazing what we've come, how far we've come in a hundred years in Wofford. What's, what's the age of some of the wells you're looking at? You what's know? the oldest well you have? But the oldest well I have is I think in 1974. Okay, not terrible. So not crazy. Um, you know, you, know, you look. Um, the oldest well I've ever operated was 1956. Oh wow. Um, and I, obviously there would be people who've operated much older wells. Did uh, you need to go back and look at like you know any of the information on how they drilled it or any did, like did you find any of that? So what you'll find is data collection. So you, you have reports. You have right. like, no way to do a physical file, and then at some point it went digital. And normally along the way, a lot of information gets lost mm -hmm. or is miscategorized. Um, and then you have, let alone that you have the well has changed hands several times. Mm -hmm. So um, you don't normally have a lot of data. Uh, sometimes you have a decent amount of data. 
I would say, as far as production goes, typically, unless you're looking at like re-entering or something pretty dramatic, like a recompletion, you're not really going back and looking at drilling data. You're probably looking at like well, production, well bore, or history, mm -hmm. and if you, you know, tracing back what's happened on the well um, and why maybe they skipped over a zone or just different things. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, thankfully, the regulatory databases has a lot. Now, when you start getting to older well bores. We all know that there's a lot of well bores out there that are not even documented at this point. Yeah. But, you know, disregarding stuff pre 1950s, 1960s, I don't know exactly where that threshold, that button is. But at the end of the day, you want to know where's my top of cement, which we were talking about. Uh, oftentimes, it's not as high up as you want. Yeah. And you also want to know what kind of casing, because you have your casing diameter, your ODID, you have your casing weight, which is going to impact your ODID. You got your uh, P110 or you know whatever you're, whatever you're doing there. And those are going to basically be your, your limiting factors when it comes to recompleting or producing a well. Or I'll say recompleting, because normally when you're producing a well, you're not challenging the limits of any of it. You presume there's already cement down there. But anytime you have a zone that's down here, you say, okay, no longer economic. I want to move up hole. One, do I have cement? Hopefully I do. If not, then say a few curse words and start figuring out okay, where's my top of cement. Get the loggers out there, hopefully, you know. But, you know, it, it ties back in because oftentimes, even nowadays, you have, you have the specialists that are. are so knowledgeable about their specific slice of the pie. And what's interesting about your background is that because you've worked drilling, completions, production, you've worked all the all those different sites, you're able to see that as a drilling engineer, I can do a lot of things to cut my AFE. Mm -hmm. And no one will ever know. Your completions team will. <laughs> they might have not. They might have been talking about getting a big dog leg in your yeah. You know, the production guy's going to throw a fit if you yeah. throw a big 15 or 20 degree dog leg in your exactly. And that's not even necessarily something that's going to show up on your records because you only do your 30 foot survey. And your 30 foot surveys over a 10 foot slide, and it just so happened to be a 10 foot slide yields that. And so it's averaging out, right? And so at the end of the day, I'm, I'm digressing some, but. Where's my top of cement? If the top of cement's not high enough, then we've got to get it up high enough. And then, what kind of case? What kind of pressures can I pump if I'm doing another frack job or you know having to put some pressure on the well? What kind of pressure are you comfortable pumping, even right? With older well bores, older well bores, yeah. older casing that may yeah. probably is definitely degraded over time in some form or fashion. Yeah. So you're gonna have to. I, I would assume pump down tubing because that's gonna limit your rate. Yeah. yeah. I would assume casing probably ages harder than the cement, the cement itself. Yeah, yeah so if you get to squeeze, normally you're fine. If you don't have to squeeze, I, I think that if you see the top of cement is above the zone of interest, you're, you're, you're happy, right? And you're, you're probably not going to even think about quality at that point, as long it's as there. you've got enough cement over the top of you. Uh, yeah, and then it's how are you going to complete it? Is it, is it going to be via tubing? What are you going to have to run in the well? And what, what pressure, yeah. what's your max pressure you're going to be able to pump in? Or do you have to pump it all? Maybe it's really conventional. You know? I, I assume you guys have seen casing in bad shape in some of these wells. No, a lot, you don't physically see it most of the time. Well, right? but, you can but, see videos of it and it's pretty, pretty gnarly. <laughs> so when you go and buy an asset, you know, like you're not going to drill right. I mean, I'm sure at some point you'll go and drill your own well. I'm, I'm sure you're getting excited about that at some point. Yeah. But you've you've taken over other people's like what's your what's the challenges you've seen the most? Like I go out and buy all these wells, I'm gonna operate them myself. What usually is like the hardest thing for you to take, you know, control over out there? Uh, so so is uh, it the facilities are all messed up? Is it the well bore? It's just understanding what the history is. I think the first thing to do anytime you have an asset that you've bought, especially wells, I mean it's the same with the house. You'd really like to know what's happened. Behind the sometimes you find out like I think we used the house analogy earlier. House is really like if you want to talk about investing into wells, it's a pretty good analogy. You're, you're you, instead of having maybe a flat rate of, of cash flow, you have a commoditized rate. So you're selling barrels and maybe you have downtime. So think about it: you don't have a renter in the house for a day, right? If you have right. downtime a little, but it's very similar to houses. Like if you buy a rental house that you're going to fix up and flip or fix up and just keep and have the cash flow, you want to know what has happened in it. And I think that if 
you're going through the well records and you can't figure it out and you don't know what you don't know, that's the scary part. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you can put that together and it's kind of, you're kind of like a historian in a way, you're kind of going back and sometimes it's talking to people you know, that we're well, that's been out there 30 years. Yeah, he's like, okay. oh, yeah, they did this, this, and this. And you're like, that's nowhere in the well record at all. <laughs> no one ever said anything about this. It's not recorded anything. Sometimes, And sometimes you, you would love that in the state record. It should be. Yeah. Sometimes it's not. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because Dan Pumper and his phone number should be in that state record. That's probably like your key. Like if you, <laughs> that's, that's the go-to guy. Yeah, that's the go-to guy. If you we'll can talk, talk to him. How long has he been out there? Yeah. Oh, I've been out here for two days. Okay, you're probably not going to help me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been out here for 10 years. He knows some stuff. You know, I mean, he may know a guy who knows a guy who been told something. So, you know, every well has a personality, especially when you get to the marginal producers and, you know, they're in some type of, have some type of enhanced recovery. But, but every well has its personality and, you know, figuring out what that personality is. And so if, if, if you're not able to really gather a lot of this information in the due diligence phase before you actually acquire the assets, then I completely agree with Marshall that you're going to be trying to figure out what's the personality, what do I actually have, what needs fixed right away, what can wait a few weeks or a few months. And because you're balancing probably cash flow versus how much money do I need to spend fixing these things? What's and the cheapest way to go fix a well that you think you can, you know, get ramped up? I mean, the, so the you take down. a camera down first, all the way down and back up, and see like, okay, well, there's no obstacles, so now, and I can see my, you know, I'm watching the flow. You know, what, what's all available? I mean, always, I would be a landman a little bit, I and mean, if there's any landman, cover your ears. But they always hedge their hedge what they say. They yeah, landmen are right. not the people. But it, it depends <laughs> on the well. I'll the well. say it right here. You, you know, you've got obstructions of some sort of well. If you've got a rod pump well, it, it's more difficult to know exactly what your mechanism is going to be to enhance the well. It could be just chemical. You know, you could pump. You know, you may have paraffin just just gumming up your purse. Yeah. And it could be as simple as pumping some chemical and cleaning it up. You don't really know. But if you've got a gas well. One of the best things to do is just go and see, and see if there's something to swab off the well. Mm. If it's plunger lifted, shoot at fluid level. Shoot at fluid level is maybe the number one thing ever to do. If, in, in go do that. If you can find out where fluid is at, what your bottom hole pressures appear to be from the fluid level, that's going to tell you a lot. Um, and then from there, you can kind of be the next step. Um, but, but in general, if you're looking at a gas well, I mean, swabbing is relatively cheap. It's really fast, and you're going to know real fast how fast it worked out. And, and I, I've seen, I mean, I've seen wells where we've, you know, we swab. Now, just a couple barrels, and we've seen rates go from 10 MCF a day to 200. Yeah. Yeah. That's just a couple. So that you're, yeah, that's just it. I mean, you you, can, you might have loosened something up elsewhere, but so for for, for the audience, wow. a little context of what you're saying. So when you sit there and you swab a couple of barrels, you could be pulling, depending on how many barrels you're pulling, you'd be pulling a few hundred to several hundred to even a thousand or more feet of fluid off of the well bore. Yeah. And so when you swab that, yeah. and because you have this column of fluid that's holding that gas down. So you swab that. If it kicks off at that point, great. It kicked off. It may be fine now, yeah. or maybe fine for another several months. Where you go back and swab it, or you can put the well bore on a timer. You can put a, some type of plunger lift on there. So at that point, again, it's a little bit of a detective cat and mouse game. What information am I starting with? Okay, I get a clue. I shoot a fluid level. Okay, the fluid level seems a little high. Or what's my casing pressure versus tubing pressure? And so each little piece of information goes in the puzzle. But you never actually know what the front of the box on this puzzle looks like. So, okay, great, I think I found a corner piece, yep. another corner piece. And, and as you get a few more clues, okay, you're obviously always going to be missing pieces of the puzzle, especially on older marginal wells. And so, okay, here's what I think is supposed to be here. And hopefully you've made a reasonable guesstimate. And then the day, if there's improvement to be had, hopefully you find economic improvement. But, you know, oftentimes you're, when you have these marginal wells, a lot of them are rod pump. And you said, oh, when's the last time you changed out? Well, we we're trying to shave costs, and so we just haven't got... It's been 10 so, years. Yeah, so it's been 10 years since you changed out your pump. Yeah. Well, that would, if, if before then you were changing that every year, and there's no reason to believe that you've made any significant changes to prolong that timing. And so it, it's oftentimes, again, going back to who, who owns it, what's the knowledge level, or the drivers for the person that's 
because you can even have a set of assets where someone's trying to cut cost because again these these assets are valued off of this cash flow cash flow and so if you're able to cut costs in the short term at the expense of long term but you're not paying that price so you can sit there and cut your chemical program and i'm going to let my, make my cash flow look better because I've reduced $10,000 a month worth of chemical program. And so now my well bores, this well bore is going to be, or this asset, this group of wells is worth more today than it was a year ago because I started pinching pennies mm -hmm. on, on these certain things, not changing out pumps quite as much. Yeah. But the next guy comes in. Or some other type of weird mojo happening yeah. down there. And so, you know, again, it's very interesting because you have you have landmen that operate, you have engineers that operate, you have you know, there's, there's all sorts of people that go in there and operate, and each one has their own set of skills. And then at the end of the day, there really is some pretty critical components. And so, are you either knowledgeable enough to handle your weaknesses? Can, are your weaknesses strong enough to still address it, or are you comfortable enough or willing to admit you're in over your head on this aspect? And hire professional help. I think that's one of the most highly underutilized assets. Or you know, Just talk to people who know about. Yeah, yeah. talk to vendors. Right here, hey, if you're going to go operate your own wells, these two guys right here. <laughs> they do you a lot of calls. Yeah. 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 Three yeah. listeners and three good. listeners in Kazakhstan. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. But I tell my mom that I was. Yeah, your mom. Guess, your mom's gonna call you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but, yeah, but you're so you know one of the reasons to reach out to Mark. He. He understands, like, you're younger, quite a bit younger than me, so you understand, like, our industry loves technology, and they love social media platforms. I, mean, you, I love your Twitter posts. I love your, your LinkedIn posts are always spot on. I mean, you've always, you've always been very good about sharing knowledge and data with yeah. people, and that's one of the reasons I reach out to you. Yeah, I appreciate you know, it. But if, you, if you're not on LinkedIn, you got to be there. It's it's our industry's Facebook. Marshall's, man, he's posted a lot of great data over the years. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter too. Twitter, I mean, smoking Twitter, it on Twitter. Twitter is um, Twitter's really a fun place to be. It's also kind of a black hole. So it's it's a place um, where I used to go and collect liberal tears, and now I've gone to the, I. I <laughs> I've tried to like look. I my wife was very kind to go. Hey, wouldn't you be better off at trying to educate others and bring them to our side? And I still ride that line a little bit. I get on Twitter and I see you guys and I see like Colin and the Digital Wildcatters. I'm like, or I could go back to collecting liberal tears. <laughs> and so there's an active oil and gas community on Twitter. So oh, huge. Energy Financial Twitter EFT is EFT. really fun, and there's a lot of. I mean, I would say you. Uh, I don't do anything original. Cody, a lot of the, a lot of the guys that are on there are just so smart, and there are a lot of them are, are anonymous He's smart. accounts. He's smart, and you can get such good free information. Why don't you have an anonymous account? I, yeah. I don't either. <laughs> I, I could never keep up with an anonymous account for one thing. I'd probably mess up and, and post stuff. But yeah. there's, I mean, there's there's funny anonymous accounts. There's serious non anonymous accounts. But then you've got people who are like me who will just say what they want to say and. Um, but it's, it's just a really fun platform. It's a fun platform. I, I would say, so uh, I, I try to limit my screen time by social media app and other apps. That's the app that it's hard for me to limit, to, to limit but I have one. I have, a, I have a stop, you know, limit set. So that would typically, that means I'm just getting on my computer instead of my phone um, to, to get on there. But uh, there's just a lot of good stuff in there. And, there you go, start a Twitter think, account for American. Even, if, you know, if, you never, if you never post, yeah. Just following some of those accounts, you're gonna find you're gonna find so much good content that, that, that just, just just about oil and gas stuff. It's, it's incredible how much oil and gas knowledge is out there on Twitter. And they're just posting it. And and, and again, I don't know. Especially I, investments. I don't care to track down any of these people, to be honest. Like because I, I just 
I value the stuff they post. Yeah. Um, and that actually, you know, I, again, I, I'd already, I, I've made this idea up of what I wanted to do a long time ago, but there was some inspiration from some of the guys that are on there that are out there operate their own wells, too. So, you know, they, they, you'd say, if they can do it, I can do it, too, right? Yeah. You know, and, and um, that's, that's what you want to try to do, and, and uh, it's just a fun place to be. And, and LinkedIn, LinkedIn's great. LinkedIn's, I, I, hope, I hope more dynamic. young leaders emulate what you're doing, yeah. and you do, and, and, both of you guys. And, and, and I would, I, I've had a couple people reach out and say, hey, oh, you know, um, I'd like to do it, too, and, and I would be, what I found is the people that I've reached out and done that to, they've been so helpful, I would love to do the same, right? Who, who doesn't want to try to help somebody who's trying to do that kind of thing? And that's that's where I'm at in my career is I've been so blessed and God's been good to me. What can I do right now to bring, to advocate for industry, yep. to highlight amazing leaders in our industry? I mean, that's that's what all of us have done a really good job about. And I, mean, I, mean, I, I watched somebody from Digital Wildcatters the other day. They're like, our whole job is to talk about our industry and to promote it and to advocate for it and put out content yeah. all, all the time. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's nothing more important than what you know, in energy in, in any sense provides to people in lifestyle. I, I think you're both touching on a really important point is that I think it's one of the key failings within this industry is our, I think we fail short educating others. Um, there, there's a lot of misinformation out there and good, right, wrong, and different doesn't matter. A lot of that misinformation is passed on with good intent. Mm -hmm. And so when, when we are involved in those conversations, I know it, it, it's humorous, and, and you and I had a conversation that's been a year or two ago, I don't remember that, but I called on the phone and was like, hey, you're... Oh, you're you, I know, I was you're kind of aggressive there, but I was being mean. And, I, was, I was definitely being mean. And at the end of the day, though, each one of these conversations... Is you said it, I think you said it, more than Missy did, like, you should be a better Christian. It's, it's, a, it's an opportunity. <laughs> it's an opportunity to, to educate. To educate and explain, because there's so much misunderstanding, even within our industry, if you sit there and ask someone who is in, say, reservoir, and yeah. start asking them, how do you think a drilling, how do you think this happens? And, you know, again, because we have all these very, very specialized... And we like reservoirs. Ask a drilling guy about production. I mean, because how many drilling guys have thrown a, a huge dog leg in the middle of their back bill, so it's up high high on the rod string, and see how that affects your rod string. Or massive deviation just anywhere, yeah. right? Like, in the lateral, so you've got horizontal well. Yeah, that's a big effect on your production. So at, at the end of the day, each one of these conversations is an opportunity, and I hope, and not to say I'm perfect, I'm far from it, but I hope we all try to take the high road and try to fully understand what's their concern. I can go out and hunt on his land anytime I want, so I'm going to say he's pretty close to perfect. <laughs> <laughs> what's their concern? Try to fully understand their concern and where they're coming from, because their concern, you can sit there, oh, that's wrong. Well, you can tell them, I think, for the, are you married? Yes. Okay, so we're all married in this room. And we've all outkeep our coverage, and, by and, the way. And we've all seen yeah. how well it works when we just flat out say you're wrong. Definitely. So what do you have to do? You have to understand the concern. Right. Is then where's the validity in it? Where can I help them better understand where we're coming from and what we're trying to do? And it's not that different. I'm not trying to say it's exactly the same. But at the end of the day, I think that's somewhere this industry can do better as a whole. And it's it's a lot of fun to sit there and say, well, that idiot, because we're educated. We're likely more educated. You watch the shows on TV, was it Black Gold? Oh, man. Is that show still on? The fortunate. Black Gold show? Yeah. Is this still on, really? I really? think so. Yeah, that's amazing. I had no idea. Anyway, so we sit there and we laugh at it. You know, da, 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 da. At the end of the day, other people are watching that and thinking, is that really what happens on all these drilling rigs? Yeah. And then they Google and see there's 600 drill rigs running in the country. And they think we got a bunch of clowns running around. Yeah. Are we at 600 yet? We're pretty close. I don't think we're quite that. I hope so. I, I couldn't tell you three counts. Five, five, five something, five seventy something. Yeah. Well, listen. anyway, educate others. 
And, you know, that, and, that, and that's what this whole thing's about. But uh, to his point, you know, I mean, how often have we talked in, inside the industry about how we've missed out, especially with gas, right? Natural gas, mm -hmm. right? In my opinion, every bus in the city of Oklahoma City should be running natural gas. Like, Everything like on the, the trash. planet ought to be running yeah. on natural I mean, gas from Oklahoma. How, how many opportunities? Because we know how clean natural gas can be. Are you most gas folks? You know, uh, right now, actually, most of it will. Oh, good for you. But, but some Maybe of that is mm -hmm. our, our uh, lack of interest in educating the outside population that doesn't understand oil and gas, yeah. right? And, until the last probably five to ten to five years. So I, I never think that it was a lack of interest in educating. I really, for me, growing up, I was in farming, ranching, oil and gas. We just thought everybody else knew about it. Right, we just so, thought that right. everybody appreciated farmers. Everybody appreciated yeah. like where they're yeah, coming from. Moment. We know where it's at. Like, it wasn't a question of like I, in my head until honestly until a couple of years ago, everybody loved oil and gas because that's where energy comes from. Like I had no clue that people despised us. It was shocking to me mm -hmm. when I discovered it, and that's why you know we're doing this right now. So, so it's. I love hearing about the you know are we running well or running vehicles on CNG or natural gas, and. You know, some of the big challenges is that it's a chicken or egg syndrome where you have the infrastructure. Just yeah. like, you know, we've heard the same conversations with the electric cars. Right? Right. We don't have the infrastructure for electric cars. That's a bogus, you know. Well, there that's, is. A, that's a, electric cars are a fun toy that are for the elite. And some people would say that the, that the infrastructure plan was supposed to fix that, part of that. Well, it, 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 should, it should have fixed for maybe uh, natural gas cars. Yeah. As far as, as, far as this yeah. conversation is yeah. concerned, though, the, it's the same is that people's concern with electric cars is I don't want to drive to you know, Kansas City and run out of electric and then not have a place to charge. And so this very, very similar challenge exists for if we're going to shift things to natural gas or CNG type cars, which yeah. is getting that infrastructure to then the infrastructure doesn't come unless you sell the cars, but the cars aren't going to sell there's no infrastructure. Well that's why I say well, that's why I said city buses. Because to me yeah, you know, I think we would all agree that a a, a, very, a, a variety and a mixture of energy solutions for the world is the answer, right? It's yeah. not one solution. Absolutely. Nuclear right. and natural gas, right. and the rest of them are city gas. buses can just like my trash truck does runs on natural gas. And those guys, they can run around. If you like all the on solar gas, you know, and add on. But what's interesting about it is that I, like you, I've talked to a lot of people who who have gone varying distances down this path, and I personally feel like people overcomplicate it significantly. You know, I've I, I worked for larger corporations who have entire departments to increase the accuracy of their projections by a couple percent. But then what happens? Well, oil suddenly drops from 75 to 50. Yeah. I'm glad you had negative this entire, or negative you had this entire department spending hundreds of man hours every quarter to improve your accuracy when in reality, you didn't gain a lick out of that. Mm -hmm. Do you think we'll ever see another time in our future where it went to Negative thirty was that oh. just a one-off like that was in our lifetime? That would never that happen. happen right at the same time. I mean, I don't think you'll see OPEC and Russia within within days. Within days, you, you see, that it was a contract thing. It was a contract yeah. thing, yeah. and then you had COVID, the COVID announcement. Yep. The world basically shut down. Yep. The two black swans that happened. You were going to have low prices. I don't know if it, I, I would. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody post. Well, we it. ever seen that would have happened if COVID hadn't happened. What would have happened to price? But I don't think you may be looking at a. 2014-esque, you know. Well, we kind of know what would have happened because we have the luxury of history behind us now. Yeah. But it wouldn't have been negative. You wouldn't have ever gone negative. negative. No, I agree with that. But it, it, we know that world production dropped X million barrels. You know, 10 or 20, 20 million. Sorry, I'm not all researching. Uh, about 20, yeah. Usage dropped about 20 million barrels a day across the world. 
And so there's smarter people than I who can sit there and back into what would that have done to commodity prices. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely would have impacted it, yeah. but, but never would have got uh, to the Cushing negative 36 or whatever it was. Yeah, I was like, what was it, $37? And then I think I remember May contracts that we were selling, was like $5. I sold a lot of barrels of 10 cents a barrel, sadly. That's, yeah, it was sadly. just wild. Oh, like, it's crazy. That you get that giving shit. away oil. Mm -hmm. Or paying. I remember when all that was happening, because I was sitting there watching my, my oilprice.com app. And I'm, this is crazy. I'm watching this in real time. Do you have an app that watches all of your production right now on your non-op stuff and like? Shows no, you I just like, watch commodity pricing and yeah. oil price stuff. So you have no like app that watches all of your wells at one time and collects not, all not the data. And you, you can tell me, but you're really not in control of the data day to day. Normally they, they mail it to you. You're lucky they do it once a week. So you don't have access. So what, what's out on the well site? SCADA. Yeah, it's operated. You, you know, for strippers, sure. not a stripper. If, you, if, you're, if you're me and you're a stripper well, if, you're, if you've got skate up, awesome, good job. Um, you probably acquired it. Um, and you know, that's something that you look to add to help you mm -hmm. scale. Right. Uh, but in general, you're looking at maybe a daily gauge. Okay. Um, you've got you know, a, meter, you're a, a meter reading and what your pumper is going to be reading. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the thought to then bridging that to scale, if you can say, I'm going to go put a tank gauge on here, and then he, that same pumper can go pump 10 more wells for me, and maybe I don't have to, he doesn't charge as much for those 10 extra wells. That's where you're talking about scale at that point, where right? because you paid X for a scale. Yeah. But if you're paying 50 bucks a well per month, yeah. and you put that on 30 wells, yep. are you actually saving? So you've got to, you know, there's a there's a cost benefit to that. There's but, a lot of really good people that are that are helping with that. I think that cost is coming down. And there's an HSC side of that because you sit there, you sit there and have a pump that's got 12 foot of fluid in it, and over the course of 20 minutes, it drops down to you know it's midnight, and you're not expecting a a, a water truck or an oil hauler, yeah. and your pump starts losing volume. You can throw off an alarm. Yep. So there, there's a lot of pros and cons, and so I think that's how you see a lot of the stuff starting starting to get. Technology is getting cheaper, yeah. so therefore you can go out and monitor all of your wells in real time, and you can be alerted to the needs of those wells. But the value of that is, again, outside of the ESG, I will question the the real cash flow value of that for a lot of marginal wells. Yeah, for marginal wells, it's pretty hit and miss. Um, something something that I've done in the past is we have, we have a bunch of gas wells. Gas gatherers will give you their gas meter readings generally. Depending on the gas gatherer, they'll mail, email them to you daily. So, okay, we've got a gas well. And let's say it makes a barrel or two of fluid a day, whether it's oil or water or both. If you're getting the gas meter reading and that's the primary product and you know it's not a lot of fluid, you may not have to send a pumper out there for most of the week, which is then again scaling that up. And if you're getting that email to you every day, which you can ingest and then dump into your production data entry program, that's that's allowing you to do things that you couldn't historically do. Historically, maybe they didn't go by there every day, but they went by there every three days, and they put in some value. You know, there's ways to do it where you can put in one value and mm -hmm. duplicate, or they'll they'll fudge it toward that it looks like they were there the third, every day. Third, yeah, yeah but generally, you know, they may go out there every three days, and now they're only able to go out there, you know. Every every week, and you can make the case that maybe I don't even if it's low enough volume, or if I'm not, if there's no fluid at all. Why do I ever need to go out there at all? Right. Other than to maybe check for you know vandalism, HSC, yeah, HSC type stuff. You know, was there a leak? No. But then again, you you should be you can see sales data. Have you run across any of those problems where you've had to go and do any remediation on new well sites? As far as as a leak, yeah, that it happens. It's it's hit and miss. You know, corrosion occurs in tanks. It occurs in vessels and floor lines. Do you think those like all the marginal well operators out there? Do they have uh, they have the responsibility to go and fix those. Do you think they take really good care of them before uh, the corporation commission ever gets involved? They definitely want to. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that uh, I could speak to every one of them, but in general, uh, they don't want to have those problems occur, so they're going to be very incentivized to, to feed it to the kick, the punch, yeah. so it's not a problem, uh, and remediate as soon as they possibly can. So, the, so they get the wells back online. Remediation nowadays is not that bad. I mean, I've got, I've got a friend, George Edwards, he's been here in the podcast, you know, he's got 
sacks of stuff he can go out and spread with a spreader, and bam, yeah. he, you know, eats up. It's it's a combination of uh, bio cells that like go and you know they eat up the hydrocarbons and also remediates the salt. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing what you can do with, with a bag of technology in our industry, yeah. guys. I love you guys being in here, and I want you guys to come back anytime you want. But before I get in trouble with your wives. I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, how do people get a hold of you, Marshall? Uh, you can reach out to me on, on LinkedIn. Um, it's just, just quick Marshall, Marshall Hall search. I don't know if you, if you can post that or anything, or Twitter. Uh, under both, it's just search Marshall Hall. So. Search Marshall Hall. And what's the name of your company again? Malorn, M-A-L-L-O-R-N, Energy. You need investors? How can I help you? You know, I, yeah, if you want to invest or, or do something like that, uh, definitely be interested in talking. Yeah, if you're out there and you have money and you want to like get into oil and gas investments and you don't really want to operate, you want him to do it because he's smarter than you, Reach out to him. There we go. What about you? What's what's American uh, American Cement? American Cement. Well, I'm Scott.Witt at AmericanCementing.com, but on LinkedIn, Scott Witt, all of my information is there. My phone number, my email address, is, all my email addresses, you can definitely hit me. If you need any kind LinkedIn. of cement in oil and gas, this is right. your guy. I am your guy. Thank you. already know smarter guys than him that can yes. give you the chemistry yes. and all that. That's the true key to your most conversation. Yeah. Right. This <laughs> Bring the smart guy. Yeah. Like, salesman, I love you. Come yeah. in the room with your smart guy. Come yeah. on. If I'm I'm in smart enough, so I, I know someone who is. Yeah. What about you, Michael? Uh, I'd say LinkedIn is the best way to reach me, and as far as what I need, I'd, I'd say I'm more about trying to help others. Um, you, and Lagoon does any sales right now? I can help Lagoon. Uh, so Lagoon, we're always happy to help. Uh, Every operator in Oklahoma and now the Permian, right? You guys we've just got, we've got operations. Yeah, so we've got recycled water, we've got fresh water, we've got produced water pipelines, we've got SWDs. So at the end of the day, if, if someone's drilling a well or has PDP production and it's near a pipeline, then we can basically get rid of your truck traffic when you consider about Consider how much trucking traffic occurs, how much water production occurs. I'm going to have a whole other podcast on just like water. Water would be a really fascinating yeah, one. Yeah, absolutely. There we go. We'll see we'll on another one sometime soon. LinkedIn, Michael Dunn, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to help others and pass along. I know a lot of people and happy to get you connected with others. There we go. Guys, honored. Appreciate you all very much. These are my friends. Look them up on uh, all their platforms. And uh, we'll see you next time. Talking Energy Show, talkingenergyshow.com. And again, thank you, Trace Manager, for the space, and uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. God Thanks. bless everybody. Bye-bye.